Hey friends, I'm Ashley. Hey you guys, I'm Lainey. And this is Haunted Real Estate. you guys. So today's topic is much more near and dear Lainey, Megan, and I, and I say that not because we have any specific affiliation with this place, but because we went there on a sister trip, March 2019, we took a visit to Seattle, Washington. Okay, definitely thought you were going to comment there, Lainey, but that's cool. (laughs) It was a really weird pause. You just went in, I didn't even get to say hi, so I'm just like sitting (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I ruined that mojo. (laughs) Say hi, Lainey. Hey. (laughs) Well, hello. So Seattle, in a word, was awesome. Uh, We loved the scenery, the pubs, the food. All of it, it was lovely. Gorgeous city. Very walkable. Even in the rain, I loved it. Everything about it. Fish market was, of course, probably everyone's favorite thing when they're visiting Seattle. Yeah. Love the fish market. Not just for the fish that are being thrown around, but just the scenery and all of it. The, uh, I mean, it's like a farmer's market. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. I will say, actually, the one thing I didn't like, I did not like the driving. I was the one that was like on the rental car, if you remember this, because I used Mm -hmm. my credit card. Um, So I did most of the driving. And at one point, we were sitting at a red light on a steep hill in the city. First car, of course. And it was raining because... Seattle. The second that light turned green, like I was already getting super nervous looking in the rearview mirror at the row of cars behind me. And I was like, when I let off the brakes, like what's about to happen? Am I just going to go downhill? Um, So the second that light turned green, I released the brake. I started moving backwards with a line of cars behind me. And then I punched the gas and then just sat there. Is it still peeling out if you're just going side to side? that's what happened it's like your race ready a fast and furious it was so embarrassing and it makes my stomach turn thinking about it because i still remember my exact thought before hitting the gas i was looking in the rearview mirror saw myself hitting the car behind me and like a domino effect each of them hitting the next car until the last car would inevitably end up being flung into elliott bay so aside from the driving uh at least that didn't happen and it didn't but my imagination in like that split second saw all of it happening like that Yeah. Well, the original reason we even went to Seattle was because somebody in our family has a ridiculous obsession with Twilight. And so we were supposed to go see that house and stay in that house. And it was actually my suggestion that we stay in Seattle because I didn't want to stay at the Twilight house. I don't, I like the books, but I didn't love the movies. I'm not going to travel to go see it. So. Yeah, a friend of mine actually owns uh, the Twilight house. Um, and let's just call it out that Megan really likes Twilight. So I was like, cool, we can go visit my friend and go see the Twilight house. But Seattle, which I'm glad we did it, did do it that way because Seattle just is a really great city to explore. Yeah, it was awesome. And the drive to the Twilight house all the long, we did get to go to like Multnomah Falls and that was gorgeous super pretty super pretty yeah so but for a person who lives in flatland texas like literally there's barely hills in this part of texas where we live i'm just not used to driving on terrain like that and where it's cold and very very wet 
It just so, is different for me, but I think it's safe to say that San Francisco is not next on our list. It, uh, I'm not driving there, <laughs> and I know Megan's not going to want to walk around San Francisco, so we'll see how that goes. All right. So while we were in Seattle, we had to hit the underground scene in Pioneer Square. So today we are talking about underground Seattle. So today's a little, uh, you're definitely going to get some good history, some spookiness, a little haunted, just to put it out there for you. Um, So in 1852, white settlers came to what is now known as Pioneer Square in Seattle. These were the first permanent settlers in the area, except, of course, for Native Americans that lived there, which are primarily the uh, Duwamish tribe. They chose this area due to the fact that it was flatter, not my experience, but <laughs> flatter than, I guess, the what they were used to and well protected by Elliott Bay. So the big economic boom for that area is timber. So in 1853, Henry Yesler began operating a steam sawmill in the area known today as the intersection of Yesler Way and First Avenue South. Business boomed in the area and, of course, brought more settlement and other businesses. This was Seattle's first downtown. On January 22nd, 1855, the Treaty of Point Elliott was signed. Signers did include the leaders of the Duwamish tribe. Chief of the tribe was Seattle's name namesake, Chief Seattle or Chief Chief Seal or Sealf. So we're going to say Seattle because that's where that namesake comes from, but you'll hear it under different pronunciations. Spelt Chief and then S-I apostrophe A-H-L. So his name was actually at the top of the treaty uh, for the Duwamish tribe, along with some of the other leaders under him. So this was an official treaty between the Duwamish and the U.S. government. This guaranteed fishing and hunting rights, as well as other reservations for the tribes. The Duwamish exchanged 54,000 acres of land, which today includes the cities of Seattle, Tukwila, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, Tukwila, Tukwila, Bellevue, Mercer Island, and parts of King County. So the treaty was officially ratified in 1859, but between 1855 and 1858, white settlers, as many times before in American history, violated the treaty. Oh, shocker. Yeah. Um, this is, it's just not going to end well for the Duwamish tribe. It's not. And I hate that. And I hate that there's pretty few stories of where things go out the way they're supposed to on an official document. So. Don't you just love being white? Um <laughs> <laughs> How does one answer that? Uh, <laughs> no, our his, uh, we're not the kindest in history is all I meant. Just it sucks yeah. when you're like, yeah. Okay, I will say this. I don't like today, 2023, lumping us as things that our ancestors did. Oh, for sure. I so, agree. I don't want to lump myself as any of that. And actually, we, very large portion of our DNA is Jewish, which I'm definitely, I'm not saying is not white, but our side has also had its own stuff. So there were several rebellions against the white settlers by the Duwamish tribe, but the white settlers, again, not new tactics with the natives. They pit the tribe Uh, basically pit tribe against tribe, but Chief Seattle did help protect some of the white settlers from attacks, and in the midst of these rebellions, they named the city after the chief. And so it is the largest city named after a Native American, and that is how Seattle got her name. The end. Bravo, bravo. So that is pretty cool, though. I do do like that little backstory. Yeah, I I thought that was really interesting. So over 150 years later, the U.S. government has still not kept their promises to the Duwamish 
Squamish uh, Indians and has not protected their reservations as promised. So this comes from a quote from one of my sources. Uh, Chief Seattle became a Catholic in 1830, befriended Doc Maynard in 1851. Maynard was one of Seattle's original founders. He eventually earned a reputation as a friendly Indian. In 1853, the city was named after him, but by 1865, all Indians were banned from living within the city borders. Oh, that's so sad. Block 17 is nestled in the heart of David Swinson Doc Maynard's Platte, which was granted him in 1853 under the White Settlers Law. White Settlers Law said every white male citizen who is at least 18 years of age is entitled to 320 acres claim in the territory of Oregon, which included what is now today Washington. And if he's married, an additional 320 acres for his wife. What? So 640 acres. Six hundred. Good math, Laney. Well, thank you. <laughs> so Doc received 640 acres, and that area today is Pioneer Square. Wow. So now we're looking 1897. Now we're looking at the Klondike Gold Rush, which, hello, we just talked about this. Hello. Hello. We have brought this up a couple of times. In recent eps. So the kids call it eps. Sodes. Okay. Call them the sodes. Just episodes. You know, just keep it, keep it your age, girl. All right, so 1897, we're now at the Klondike Gold Rush. Many prospectors' last stop. uh, It was many prospectors' last stop because you're still in the States when you're in Washington. So before they made the journey up to Alaska, they would stop in Seattle. So they'd gather supplies and prepare for their trip to the north. There was a bank there that actually worked with prospectors. It was open 24 hours a day, so any prospector that was traveling They could come in, bring their gold to the bank for safekeeping at any hour of the day. Because, of course, when you're traveling as a prospector, you might show up at 3 a.m. to drop off some gold or 4 p.m., whatever. So this was the Scandinavian American Bank. Of course, prospectors wandering around all hours of the day created several unsafe situations and potentially a lot of violence. Oh, do tell more. So many prospectors were robbed on their way to this bank and... Even bank tellers weren't safe. Uh, One night, there was a late-night drop-off that ended with the bank teller and the prospector getting killed by a group of people that were trying to steal the gold off this prospector. Well, you would think people would just be poached or poached. (laughs) (laughs) Perched out there by the bank. (laughs) People were being poached because people weren't perched out there watching. (laughs) Yes. I mean, if that's a well-known thing 24 hours a day, then if you're a thief, why not just hang out there and wait you're gonna get something yeah it's that had to be extremely scary you had to definitely act like you didn't have a bunch of gold on you and if you did find a bunch of gold how are you hiding it yeah how are you carrying it without- <laughs> and and i don't know if you know this but real gold is not very light yeah it's, it's pretty freaking heavy <laughs> could you imagine like holding this <laughs> two bags like i got I'm nothing to see totally here. light as a feather you guys <laughs> like veins are pushing out and you're sweating <laughs> don't rob me so there is still actually a teller sign where this bank was um some people that and i know i haven't gotten to the underground part yet but this had to do with the klondike gold rush which is why i'm talking about it now so there are some people that see two dead men Um, Some see a tall man in a white shirt and suspenders. So he actually is where this bank was located. There is a ghost there today. Dead men's toes. Dead Dead men's men's toes. toes. Please remind me to go back to the story in a few minutes when I start talking about underground Seattle. Okay. 
So this was a period of prosperity for Seattle, but was unfortunately very short-lived. Many businesses started moving north of Pioneer Square. So this once downtown um, started to become a pretty seedy area with taverns and brothels and other unsavory characters and activities. Sex and booze, baby. Yeah. Uh, Pioneer Square literally stayed like that until about the 1970s. So it had the better part of 100 years of being a shady area. Yeah, a little sketchy. Don't don't let your kids go over there. Right, exactly. So the thing is, Seattle's two big money-making prospects were timber and gold mining, both male-dominated positions. Um, so even if someone came to Seattle short-term or was just passing through, there was a need for entertainment. And much of that entertainment was female entertainment. Boobies, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I can count on you, sir, for some really random audio. You're audio welcome. Sounds. So many women actually started flocking to Seattle to take advantage and, you know, get some money. So from Seattle.gov, the Great Fire of June 6, 1889 was a significant turning point in Seattle's history and changed both the physical and political scape landscape of the city so i believe he was a cabinet maker had some glue boiling that ended up going awry and started a fire um so the fire started about 2 30 p.m at a shop in front of at a shop at front and madison street and over the course of the next 18 hours swept a south southward across 100 acres of seattle's business district and waterfront the fire left little standing in its wake it consumed blocks docks wooden sidewalks and and anything else basically that was combustible. Losses were from the conflagration were estimated at 20 million. Pledges of aid came from Tacoma, Olympia, Portland, San Francisco, Victoria, and other large and small cities throughout the United States. Immediately following the fire, businesses reopened in makeshift tents. Building reconstruction began redesigning the physical features of the city and was given a high priority and the face of the city government was radically changed. Within the year following the fire, Seattle Seattle had nearly rebuilt and its population increased by almost 33%. I feel like we need to like really emphasize how just insanely upsetting it was and how many people were really affected because I know like our first episode, my dumbass was confusing the Great Fire in Seattle with Galveston. Mm-hmm. I, th- I hope I corrected myself. I think you did while we were talking about it. Yeah. Uh, sorry, guys. I did learn stuff in school. It just takes me a minute to get back up there. Well, but it was in your brain, just wrong city. Yeah. But yeah, when we were, you know, in Seattle and you just, you're looking around and you're like, all of this was just wiped out so freaking quickly and so many people dead and everything just like leveled out because it was just such a hot fire. Yeah. There was nothing left. So they passed an ordinance that followed that fire that all new buildings would have to be made of brick or stone rather than wood. So it changed a lot of the building codes. Um, It was also ruled that the building would be raised, buildings would be raised anywhere from 12 to 33 feet higher than before. Basically, if you were at the lower end of a hill, you would probably be closer to that 33 feet range. And if you were already higher up, it'd be about 12 feet. So the previous levels, especially those lower levels, were very marshy areas. And because of its previous lower levels, sewage would back up during high tide. So in that regard, it's probably a good thing that they had to rebuild because them waters be poopy. (laughs) Them waters be poopy. Yeah. That's a real shitty situation. It was a real 
shitty situation. But that would now put whatever remained at subterranean. So like whatever was there already that didn't burn in the fire was now at subterranean levels. So this is how underground Seattle came to be. The fire came, devastated the area. They decided to build up. And if there was anything that was still down there, which there were several things and several buildings that didn't get affected, they continued to run business as usual. And then new businesses were built up. So new architecture and buildings took over. Some of those lower buildings became basements to the new structures and some businesses just remained underground. So as they were building the pavement over the new levels, they added little sidewalk prisms, basically like little skylights so that natural light could come shine below the surface. And it's the coolest thing once you realize it's there. Right, exactly. Like you notice it or maybe you don't notice it when you're walking because it just looks like these like little squares in the ground and you're just not paying a whole lot of attention to it. But then when you go take the tour and you're underneath it, you're like, oh my gosh, these are like little skylights and these are little glass pieces so that we yeah. can see under here and you just walk on them yeah when not you're thinking looking anything up, it's just wild like wow the whole city's on top of us this is weird yeah it, it's so interesting and we are going to post a picture of it i have a picture from underneath and then there's a picture from above they're, they're not my pictures by the way i'm probably not posting our pictures because they're not that great um, we were drunk no, i'm just no, kidding no, we, we were, were not <laughs> no, we were. but it was cool to see this because when we left our tour yeah you just like you notice how large this subterranean area actually is and you're just walking on top of it and you can actually like hey there's something below me remember Um, that bar we found and like mm -hmm. it was like a speakeasy yeah it was just the coolest thing we saw a lot i'm sure i don't want to interrupt you if you're if you're uh, gonna go through that but um, yeah i was gonna at the very end i was just gonna bring because i do have a picture of that speakeasy but it's one of my worst pictures yeah i think i have a picture i i can go back i know i've had several different phones since then but i have them somewhere yeah yeah so it's easy to just not pay it any notice but when you're there and you're walking on them those are over 100 years old so at night there's of course no lights so those skylights do little good when you're down there at night but electricity didn't get added there until the 1960s 1970s when they started actually doing the tours so nighttime if you were hanging out in this underground area in the 1890s and 1920s was pretty freaking spooky Even after the 1920s, it was pretty spooky. So businesses underground hung around until about 1907. In 1907, some of the buildings that that were using the underground space like the the people that took a storefront and basically made that a basement, a lot of them were storing food. Like if they had a restaurant or a hotel or something like that above, they were storing food down there. Food attracts vermin, specifically rats. Rats, I don't know if you know this, but they're excellent carriers of disease. What? And what disease did they carry that was the most devastating? Oh, you're asking me. I, um, well, now I just want to see if you know. Uh, Not the um, bubonic plague? Mm-hmm. I thought this that came place from fleas. Is bubonic. Fleas on rats. Fleas on fleas, rats. Okay. <laughs> Did I not make you listen to that song? No, you, you've already sung it on another app. Uh, so. uh, it's called a sode. We're calling it sodes. Oh. I'm just kidding. We're not. We're, we're not. We're not, guys. I would not allow it. Uh, yes. Okay. Sorry so. if I've sung that song to you multiple times. It lives permanent in my brain. <laughs> Um, So yes, it was the plague. So come 1907, another surge of the bubonic plague was going around. So the underground now felt more like a Petri dish and was pretty Mm. rampant with disease. I hate when people say Petri dish to deal like, I get it. I get the term. It's just cesspool of grossness. But when I think of it, it's just like swimming in one. And the plague, you guys, 
the plague, which I hope everybody knows, or I'm just going to say it. The plague is still around today, the bubonic plague. Um, it is curable. Know that. And that's why it's not so devastating. It wouldn't be devastating today um, unless it took on a new form, in which case I guess it wouldn't be the same thing. Well, when he got it back then, it was 50-50 chance of life or death. And so just so many people wiped off. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, so the plague, I mean, really, that when it was its most devastating, it was the 1300s. And here we are 600 years later in this story, and it's still a problem. So that's really nuts. Um, so the city leaders were like, hey, if you bring us a rat tail, we'll give you 10 cents per tail because they knew they were spreading because of the rats. So what do people do? Well, instead of just going out there and killing the rats that were already there, they were like, let's breed some rats and just make some money off this. And they did. And it was pretty lucrative and didn't solve any problems at all. Wow. So it's one way to do it. As as government as usual, trying to solve a problem and it backfires. Yeah. So they just bred them for cash and didn't solve the problem. So there were a lot of businesses that ended up just straight up being abandoned due to the spread of disease. But of course, the buildings are still there. And I'm talking about underground Seattle here, underground Pioneer Square. Oh, you said when we go underground to talk about the... Yes. Bank ghost. Yeah. Remind me when it seems like an appropriate time. Okay. Okay. No I just pressure. thought you meant in general. I was like, we're already underground. I forgot about the ghost. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you went to Seattle between the Great Fire and the 1920s, you'd think, man, this town, it's actually pretty clean, cleaner than most towns. And then you'd be like, you know what else is kind of weird? I don't see a whole lot of homeless people. And there's homeless people in every major city. And crime. What is with Seattle and its lack of crime and homelessness? Well, it was still there. It was just underground and had a better hiding spot than most cities actually do. All these things that were going on, and I'm not putting homelessness and crime necessarily together, but there were a lot of homeless people that lived in underground Seattle. It is kind of a natural safe haven from the elements, and crime is clearly not being seen from the street, so it makes more sense to be down. Yeah. So they just had better hiding spots than other cities. So a lot of these empty either basements or underground buildings became opium dens, gambling areas. And a little bit later, they became speakeasies, which is what Lainey and I were talking about earlier. Um, So this area actually got denounced as Skid Row. So homeless people kept underground rather than above. So they simply weren't just, they just weren't being seen by everyday people. So it seemed like Seattle had some miraculous cure for, you know, handling homelessness. Um, They didn't. They just had better hiding spots, Uh, which also meant that anyone down there was likely being neglected. So people were dying of disease or murder or whatever, and literally just being left to rot in the little alleyways of underground Seattle. And knowing that fact and walking through it, which I'm saying, you guys, you have to check it out. If you do go, when you hear that and you're walking through it yourself, you're like, okay, it sounds like I'm a murderer. I would never do it. But I'm like, it would be so easy to just like walk by and jab somebody and just keep walking. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't know. Or yeah. No electricity down there. No. It's, uh, it's such an eerie feeling down there. Right. Except well, I mean, when you can get to the speakeasy, then you're like, oh, I, I would totally be down here. Right. It's my, exactly. It's my corner of this area. Side note, when you said like, hey, you should go to the tour, I really thought you were going to say, tell them Ashley and Lainey sent you. I was going to be like, they wouldn't know what that, like, that yeah, means. That's, nothing that's to me. fucking great. Just <laughs> give me your money. Yeah. <laughs> tell them we said thanks. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I thought that's where you guys will start Do to make a puzzle. Do one or not? Face. Just give me your money. <laughs> I don't know who they are. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because even though there's like the little skylights, we're talking like 
really, really small lighting that is being brought down there. And Seattle's not known for its sunniness anyway. It's pretty gray a lot of the time. It's like a it's like a grate. Like there's, you know, little cut out squares just with glass in it. So that's why I was saying earlier, something you would notice, but I'm not someone who pays that much attention to small details unless like that's the task at hand. I'm usually looking up at the architecture. Mm-hmm. But we already so, know it's like low level light. Yeah, 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 for sure. So it's it's not, to me, it's not noticeable to some other people. It might be. But now you know. You'll notice it, so you're welcome. And don't tell them Ashley and Lainey sent you because they won't know what you're talking about. The other obvious inconvenient issue was that people were having to go up and down ladders to get to these subterranean levels. And since you're talking about them probably going down there for drinking or drugs or partying, partying, parting ways with your lover. (laughs) To go party with another. Yes. Um, this was more than just inconvenient. It was actually a pretty serious safety issue. There have been literally at least 17 people that died trying to navigate going up and down between the new street level and the lower levels. So they do talk about this. If you go on the paranormal tours um, in Pioneer Square, that some of those deaths have equated to hauntings today. So yeah, we can just go ahead and throw in there. So from that previous bank that was there, the Scandinavian American Bank, one of the ghosts that's there is at least the teller um, and two different EVP. Oh my God. What do you call it? Like the, the EVP sound. I not okay. even thinking the same direction as you. When the ghost hunters went and said, you know, like, what is your name? Um, there have been separate responses. Like this has been asked to this ghost several times. He either responds Edward or Eddie. So he is most likely an Edward. Eddie. And I would assume went by Eddie. What is that from? <laughs> Venom. It was a terror. The, oh. the Venom character always says Eddie's name. I mean, he talks in a deep voice, but he's like, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyways, continue. Yes. So Edward, the, the the teller sign, I believe, is still up there. I mean, there's pictures that people have posted about it. So I, I would just assume it's still up. But yeah, so that bank teller sign is down there. And so is Edward. Tell him uh, we said hi. Tell him Ashley and Lainey sent you. Yeah. He'll know us. <laughs> He'll definitely know us for sure. Uh, from the AtlantisObscura.com, uh, Lou Graham, born Dorothea Georgine Emile Oben in Germany in 1857, arrived in Seattle in 18. 18- 1888. Wait, Lou Graham, what was his first name? Her first name was Dorothea. Dorth. Okay, Lou Graham sounds like a man's name. I know that's terrible to say in 2023, but... But in the 1800s, it makes sense. No, she ended up going by Lou Graham. I like it. There, I didn't put it in here because I didn't look up, like, specifically a lot of her history, but there are rumors that she was very much an early LGBTQ oh, person. I love that. So I don't know if... She um, might have wanted that to be more of a right. trans-neutral name. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, I think she was looking for something more neutral. But otherwise, I don't know her whole story. Um, just because when we're looking at this, we're trying to look at it from more the property's perspective and, like, things that happen there more than individual people and their whole life story. Um, but if you would like to look into Lou Graham, that's L-O-U. G-R-A-H-A-M. And then Dorothea Georgine Emile Oben. And tell her Ashley and Lainey sent you. Tell her Ashley and Lainey sent you. (laughs) So the city had just experienced a period of reform due to the institution of women's suffrage. And the economy had tanked due to the mass closure of brothels and revoking of liquor licenses. Graham, then a prostitute, saw, and this this is all coming from 
Atlantis Obscura. Okay, so I'm reading this directly. Graham, then a prostitute, saw the depleted economy and lack of competition as a perfect business opportunity. She approached banker Jacob Firth and a number of other prominent businessmen for funding to start a high-end brothel on the corner of 3rd and Washington in what is now Pioneer Square. Graham imagined a brothel that cost as much as the finest hotels and provided high-profile businessmen with the company of the most beautiful, educated, and cultured women in the city. It's really just doing all the other men a solid, huh? Seriously. She offered comparatively safe living quarters and schooling for her employees. Though her brothel turned burned in the Great Fire of 1889, she had already made enough profit to rebuild a larger stone building on the property long before other businesses recovered from the disaster. So she was doing pretty well. Uh, Graham provided high interest loans to entrepreneurs, invested heavily in the stock market, and soon became one of the city's richest residences. Residents. She's so badass. I like her story. She really is. And there's actually articles written about her and women like her that basically help shape Seattle. Um, perhaps because of her wealth or perhaps because of rumors that pleasures of her house were free to government officials, Graham weathered a series of morality campaigns in the city, shutting down for only days at a time before promptly reopening her doors. Graham left Seattle in 1902. Wait, what does that whole thing mean? Does government officials go there and that's why she's shutting down? No, she's getting, taking care of them for free. Basically, probably so they don't shut her down, but then people would get like really upset. Got it. Yeah, the pleasures of her house were free to government officials. Yeah, there were morality campaigns over like her, probably a little bit with government corruption as well. Bribery. Yeah. With sex, you know, no big deal. Maybe they were just really mad that some guys were getting it free and some weren't. Yeah. Maybe that was the actual. And that's why you go to politics, people. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I can't even with politicians. No, I can't. I'm not even going to talk about it. So Graham left Seattle in 1902 after uh, particularly stifling laws that were put into place that made it difficult to perform business. She traveled to San Francisco and died two months later of mysterious causes. Newspapers reported an ulcer as her cause of death, while other accounts claim she died of suicide, drug overdose, or syphilis. And I saw syphilis in more than one article. Um, Before her death, she contributed huge amounts of money to city projects and children's education and saved many wealthy families families and their businesses from bankruptcy. So Lou Graham was one of several significant women that, like it or not, did help shape Seattle. They were also the cash cows to the tax man since, quote, sin was in 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 Seattle and for a nine-year period, women like her um, and businesses that they were running accounted for 90% of the revenue for the city, according to the LA Times. That's insane. Yeah. 90%. So there was a short-lived period of time where they were doing extremely well. I like that phrase, sin is in. You know, because sin is in. (laughs) So fab. Glad I can bring that up on the sode. I hate you. By 1914, Pioneer Square began to really go downhill. By this time, we start seeing streetcars and cable railways that started beating up the infrastructure. Downtown Seattle started moving from Pioneer Square to streets further north. So the area began to really get neglected. Pioneer Square going into the 1920s, we're now looking into the prohibition movement, became a symbol for everything that was wrong, from sex workers to drinking to drugs, gambling, and a ton of other illegal activity. Uh, Pioneer Square was used as the example for tolerance to saloon and brothels. It was denounced by the First Presbyterian Church as the pathway to sin and ruin. Wow. So now you're going to get shamed if you go there because you look like you're up to no good if just by being in Pioneer Square. So of course, what does that 
that going to do? It's going to have an even worse economic effect. What businesses is going to want to go there? Any of the businesses that are there are look like they'd be up to no good too. So they're not going to be doing very well. Um, so businesses didn't want to set up shop there and the area had very little to offer basically. So cut to the Great Depression in the 1930s, underground Seattle was full of literal underground dealings. Shanty towns and Hoovervilles were filling up the area. Just south of Pioneer Square was an abandoned shipyard that had hundreds of people living there that couldn't find work. What is Hooverville? Uh, that was named after uh, the president um, because he was the president Hoover. Well, yeah, but when you say shanty towns and Hoovervilles moved in, the, what does that mean? They are shanty towns where they're like makeshift houses. They nickname them Hoovervilles after the president. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. Um. So the maybe silver lining for homeless people during the depression was that that it did offer some protection from the elements by being underground because again, it's Seattle. It does rain, but in the winter, it's basically freezing rain. So it it's an option to be able to shield yourself from that bad weather. But Pioneer Square was a little bit like Gotham City. Um, There was plenty of corruption. There were even fights between um, cops that wanted to control the area. Um, And by controlling the area, there was a lot of overseeing the the shady things that were going on. Yeah, there's there's cops that are allowing it to happen because they're probably getting profiting and getting kickback. And then there's ones that are trying to do the right thing. And I imagine that's also a time where people are just flat out fighting each other in public. Don't care if there's kids walking next to you or another officer down the road. It doesn't matter. You're all in a daily battle to just get through the day. So between 1880 and 1902, there were 20 shootouts between officers and store owners in the square. So in 1882, there was actually a mob that came after some possible robbers for murdering a man named Reynolds. They even busted into a Seattle jail and took a man named George Payne out of the prison, out of his prison cell into Pioneer Square Park to hang him. Wow. Um, He kept pleading his innocence. He swore he never killed Reynolds. The angry mob decided to hang him anyway without a trial. That sucks for him. Today in Pioneer Square Park or that area, people see um, a black shadow figure figure hanging from the trees. Oh, I would hate to see that. Yeah. That's just depressing and I get really freaked out by hearing the sound of like a tightrope, like from people hanging. Like there's something about that sound that just really gives me the heebs. It's a lot. Yeah. I don't like that either. It's, it like makes my eyes water up a little bit. It's just. It's just eerie. Nothing Mm -hmm. good comes from that sound. Yeah. So even ghost hunters have actually captured uh, EVP of the the audio says, I'm innocent. You've killed an innocent man. Damn. So that is George Payne in that area. So not much happened uh, in the area between the 1930s and the 1950s. But come 1960s, Pioneer Square and underground Seattle gained new appreciation. An architect named Ralph Anderson decided to move his office in Pioneer Square and began restoring the buildings, which I love. Love so much because I hate seeing an area just sorry that was my son in the background. I hate seeing areas just go into neglect and people just decide to ignore it. And I love when people decide to throw their money at it and make it like look better. And I, I do want to acknowledge that I do understand that gentrification can hurt an area where cost of living may be lower and then you go in and then you're like making it astronomical and too expensive for people to live. I, I want to acknowledge that real quick. There is no great answer to that because you know, I hate seeing an area go into neglect, especially if it's rich in history and we want to 
preserve that history. Yeah. So I do understand going in, making it better. Yes, it's going to raise those values. Yes, it's going to hurt people. I think either one is a really sucky situation. So I do acknowledge that. Well, I and I agree with you on all of the above. I, I mean, protecting the history is what I care about. I, you know, I live in the Montrose area and that is gentr- gentrification. I can't even say that word that well. <laughs> But it's it sucks watching them tear down history. Like there's so many homes that are have great bones, and they're like, oh, but we can squeeze four families in here. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to watch and be in. Right? Yeah. Lainey lived in a town. Was it townhome? Townhome that was uh, over yeah. 100 years old. But fixing it up, just the plumbing, the electrical, the foundation, nothing pretty was over a hundred thousand um, yeah. dollars just for that so i yeah it gets very expensive and i understand like i do to me though if i'm going to preserve history i would like to spend money doing that but i also know doing that or knocking it down and creating a whole new building either one is going to be an expensive option so i i mean i really wish it made more sense or people appreciated it more to invest that money but i wish they at least tried to build in a similar style when they replace it with modern homes that just look like four story blocks a child put together yeah like it's just it does it's ugly and i mean a lot of it is cheap super cheap i mean that's why they're doing it they're choosing to knock it down and build new instead so it is nice if somebody has a vision and they can come create not something i'm not saying something new but just have a vision for it so anderson is renovating the neighborhood he has victor steinbeck go conduct an inventory of the buildings in the square and documented the buildings that were architecturally significant meanwhile in 1965 bill spidell a journalist in seattle opened up his now famous attraction that would give underground tours in Pioneer Square. So basically he was getting phone calls and letters every single day of people saying that there was an underground city in the city. And he was like, I don't know about that. Cause like they literally just kind of forgot about this area that it existed. Nobody wow. was hanging out down there. There weren't obvious places to just like, I mean, when we went, we had to go through a storefront that took us down and like, yeah, we it'll... didn't, I can't remember exactly how we got down there, but it's not like an obvious hole in the ground. And I just, walk down a ladder and I'm down there no Um, it kind of felt like we were about to go on like a roller coaster because you go in a building and then you like go down and then you go in this waiting area and then you're led somewhere else and it feels like you got a a little carts waiting for you to go shooting off somewhere in the dark yeah exactly yeah like a little mining cart so Bill Spidell did this because he was raising funds for the area to help save Pioneer Square since it is the city's oldest neighborhood so New recognition and tourist attraction brought a fresh perspective on the area and is now a hot tourist destination and such a fascinating place to visit. So he actually had the original tour. There are now multiple. And at night, there are ghost and paranormal tours, which we unfortunately did not get to take because it did not work out with our timeline. Um, But due to the work and vision of these people, preservationists also came in and got involved. They all worked with city officials. And by 1970, Pioneer Square was designated a national historical district and today encompasses about 88 acres so underground seattle is considered one of the most haunted areas i will admit it was difficult to find information because 
Some of it's hearsay. A lot of it is put aside for the tours. So I was looking at blogs and other people's kind of accounts of things that have happened. So we know of Edward the ghost. Um, Several people have died under there. We talked about 17 dying just to go up and down uh, the ladders getting there. Some people have had strange experiences, pictures of orbs, you know, the huge. I was reading a blog from someone that did a tour and she said she didn't have any significant experiences, but her brand new batteries died in her camera which meant she couldn't capture anything very spooky, except one weird picture. She captured, well, she was taking a picture of kind of a corner area where they say the woman in white hangs out. Which, you know, she's not always standing there. She's got a life. Or she has an afterlife. Let me say that. She's got an afterlife. (laughs) Hopefully she's not doing laundry like some of our other ghosts we've talked about. Like Sally. Oh. Or Sally at the Manor. Manger. I just said Manor, and I was like, I (laughs) don't know where my... I don't know. Yeah, Sally at the Manger. So the woman in white wanders the underground. Uh, This blogger from ParanormalSoup.com, Pretty Kitty Kitsune. Sorry. I I didn't even think it was funny, and then you start laughing. It's like the way you said it. Pretty Kitty Kitsune. Yes. Uh, Tried to snap a picture, and it came out fuzzy and hard to see. So she's a photographer. She's got all this fancy equipment, software she tried to use to clean up the photo. And it actually just kept getting worse, which to her was, this was super strange. Why is this happening? A different picture. I'm about to show Lainey. There is a picture that somebody took that is supposedly the woman in white. Hang on, because I don't put my pictures the same place I have my notes. This is giving me major jigsaw vibes. (laughs) It really freaked me out. Oh, yeah, that is Jigsaw. Right. Without, or like, like a witch or something. Yeah, that's like one of those musical face masks without that many detail. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like it either. So we're going to post it because I feel like y'all need to see it, but woof. Yeah, I would, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm so good. <laughs> Didn't that really creep you out, though? Like, I saw that, I was like, I don't white, think so. You think woman in white would be like some graceful, just... Don't mind me, but that looks like come closer so I can suck your soul. Yeah, I know. It really does. Do Um, you want to play a game? (laughs) So, um, and then there's also, I don't know if the, I don't think the woman in white is this person, but there's also another ghost of a woman who died by the bank. I don't, I don't think we know if she worked for the bank or what, but she died in or near the bank vault. So the bank clearly had some issues, you guys. It was a dangerous place to be. But that's kind of our possibly shorter episode. I don't really know how long this came out to be of Pioneer Square and Underground Seattle. Um, It's got a little bit of spooky history and I thought super fascinating. Oh, it's incredible and I feel like we're not doing the underground as much justice as it deserves when you go under there it's just absolutely captivating just you can feel the history I feel like we always say that like you can just feel the life that was previously there it's it's pretty nifty man and I think you did a good job Ashley thank you um but we enjoyed it and I definitely recommend that you go um take the paranormal tour if you can because and then and then tell me how it was because I'd love to know since I couldn't do it but yeah we The only like weird picture and we were kind of talking about it is we were in a former speakeasy down there and um, I know I got pictures of the skylight and then Megan at this bar that was a former speakeasy and she's like see-through. I don't even think she fully has legs in it. And I was like, this is a super weird photo. Um, But, and I honestly, I would show it if her face wasn't really unflattering in the picture and doesn't look like her in that way. So I'm not going to show it for her. 
You're welcome, Megan. But yeah, maybe that's not, none of us posted pictures from she, underground because none of them turned out great. Yeah, she honestly she looked like a ghost. Like I think she's pretty see through in the picture, so it's really weird. So I'm not going to show that, but it'd be kind of cool if you guys wanted to send us some creepy pictures. I would love it. Maybe we can put it up on our stories with your permission. Yeah, that would be awesome. But thank you guys for listening. We hope you keep coming back. Feel free to send us episode requests for those that have. Know that we have put your ideas down on paper and they are slowly but surely going to make an appearance or uh, whatever you call it. If it makes an episode, an audio appearance. Appearance. I'm pretty sure it's an audio appearance. Visual for your ears. We also want to thank our beautiful and lovely donors. We did open up a vent account if you'd like to donate to the show to help us pay for the audio equipment that i chose to buy first and figure out how to pay for <laughs> later because i hate terrible audio and also something that's a total science uh, good on you guys who just know all the ins and out of audio equipment because i don't yeah thank you so much donors we do appreciate you and we've been getting a lot more requests so it's it's so nice to hear that, you know, people are listening and give a crap about what we say. And it's, you it's, like me. You really like me. <laughs> Not after that. Not after that. I'm sorry. I'm just going to throw this soda away. <laughs> God. <laughs> so thank you for being a loyal fan. Um, and we do uh, take episode recommendations. When you donate, please make sure to give us an episode recommendation. We want to make sure we give you special attention. And we always like to know what you want to hear. We do properties worldwide, so you've got a lot of options. And you know what some of your local creepy haunts are, and we want to know about them too. So if you are feeling Venmo-y and generous, it is at Haunted RE. That's it. At, at the at sign, Haunted RE. If you'd like to just send us a recommendation or an interesting real estate story, you can email us at hauntedrepod at gmail.com and go follow us on the pod on Instagram at haunted.real.estate. And you can throw us a DM that way too. That's cool. People do that too. We're happy to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you guys. And go check out the spooky pictures that we're going to be posting. Love you. Bye.